Well, welcome here. We are going to continue on in our series on the armor of God. And right now we're looking at that third element or that third piece of armor that's talked about in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to be reading, you know, I'm just going to read 10 to 15. Uh, just because it gives us context and it gives us a better picture of what's happening in the passage. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 15. And if you don't know where the book of Ephesians is in the beginning of your Bible, table of contents, you just go ahead and use it. And, uh, you know, by doing so, you're going to learn where things are over time. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 15, here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that even so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you do everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I ask, Lord, that as we're talking about the gospel of peace and being fitted with the readiness of that, Lord, that our eyes would be open to see how that interacts with our everyday life. And Lord, that we would be motivated and inspired to move in your direction as we consider how to live out the gospel message. In your name I pray. Amen. Here's the neat thing about this particular one, uh, or this particular piece of armor. It, it is something that, uh, that talks about like this readiness, which is not an uncommon concept for us. When we think of the things that we do in life, we talk about getting ready for these things. So, for example, uh, we're into that holiday season, and so people are getting ready for that holiday planning, right? Like you're you're booking your campground, you are making sure that things are right with the camper, the tent, the cabin, whatever it is that you're using. Um, you're booking things, you're you're preparing for, you are getting ready for. It's the end of the student year. Students are getting ready for the potentially the exams or graduation or whatever the closing of the student year is. They're preparing for it. They're getting ready for it. But those are things that we expect. And I think when we talk about preparedness, when we talk about readiness, we also need to consider what it looks like to be prepared for the things that we don't expect. How can you pre-plan for these things? How do you prepare for these things? Preparing for the unexpected can take like, a different form. Sometimes resources and sometimes even a state of mind needs to shift. And so as we look at these, you could say these gospel shoes with our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel, I think we need to look at what readiness looks like in our lives. And this is important because remember, the battleground is everything in between Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 6. So it's our work day, it's our everyday living, it's our family life, it's, it's, it's all encompassing. That's that battleground. And so what does it look like to be ready for this spiritual war that takes place in that very natural battleground that all of us exist in? So let's take a look at this metaphor of these shoes. We, 
it's funny. We're people who seem to have shoes for everything, right? Like we have dress shoes, we have casual shoes, we have, I have lawn mowing shoes <laughs> and they're typically the casual shoes that I had that I no longer wear out because Janet says they're no good anymore. And so then I use them in the backyard as my lawn mowing shoes. But we also have, like we have hiking boots and shoes, we have work boots and shoes, we, we have seemingly a shoe for everything, whether it be from sports to work, to dress wear, to casual wear, we seem to have a shoe for every occasion. And, and so when Paul is using this metaphor for the armor of God, and, and he comes to this place of shoes, um, it's important to understand what he had in mind. And so again, this all of this is pictured after the Roman legionnaire's armor. This is all front-facing armor. Remember that, that there's nothing that protects the back, and so then the Roman soldier is expected to consistently face forward into the face of his enemy. And these shoes that he talks about, or these feet fitted with the gospel of readiness, there's this sandal-slash-boot that the soldiers would often wear, or actually would always wear, and, and it's called a caliga. And it's kind of like I said, it's this half boot, it's strapped around the person's foot, like there's this thick sole of leather on the bottom. Uh, and then the foot has got all these straps and comes all the way up past the ankle. And all these straps, they're tight and they're wrapped in such a way that if you're wearing these things for long marches, which often they would be, they, you wouldn't have sores, you would definitely be sore and your feet would be aching but you wouldn't get blisters. And it was secure enough that that would happen. And then on top of that, they would often have these, these spikes or, or, uh, or, or studs that were either screwed in or nailed into the bottom of these boots in order to be able to give further traction. As a matter of fact, uh, Josephus, the, Christian, the historian, the historian regarding Christianity and, and the Jewish culture at the time, uh, just tells the story of a guy by the name of Jairus. Uh, and Jairus was a Roman soldier. Uh, he was known for being quite proficient as a soldier. And there's this story of him with these cleats, basically, on the bottom of his shoes, going onto this marble floor, attempting to go after the people that he was charged to go after, and, and racing onto this floor. He ends up actually falling backwards because on the marble, those cleats would have no well, no impact, or at least no positive impact. And so because of those cleats, he slipped and fell back and uh, well, ultimately perished because everybody then that he was chasing turned around, came back after him and took him out in terms of the Jews that he was chasing. These are noted as important footwear. Now, granted, most of the time, if not the vast majority of time, right? Like ultimately, with the occasional story, Roman soldiers were on dirt ground or, or cobblestone and that kind of thing. And so the idea of having this studded um, shoe or boot was the idea that, that it would give structure to their footing, that it would enable them to have the grip they needed to quickly sidestep something or chase into something. Uh, or, or to be able to even just stand firm on something, knowing that their ankles are well-supported as well. And so these are critically important footwear in the Roman army. And the whole idea of boots would help the soldier be ready 
for every circumstance that they're going to find themselves in. Now, just hear that. The footwear helped the soldier to be ready for every circumstance that they're going to find themselves in. And this is where there's this crossover moving from the Roman armor into that spiritual metaphor that's being used to describe the armor of God. For the believer, these shoes are, uh, these aren't just simply shoes and boots that we wear, but it's actually like this illustration the, uh, talking about the readiness that comes with the gospel. And so the shoes carry the messenger of the gospel it is reflected um, elsewhere within Scripture. As a matter of fact, you may or may not know this, but this is not a new idea. This The idea that, that the gospel of peace, the good news, was being proclaimed with those who are having the appropriate footwear, you could say, to be able to bring it. Isaiah 52, verse 7. Listen, this is fantastic. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And we frequently talk about how the gospel is good news at Pathway, right? It's, it is the good news that in His holiness, God acted on our behalf in our fallenness, knowing that we were unable to do anything about our fallenness. He sends His Son, Jesus, to be this perfect sacrifice for our sin. This is the good news. Like the gospel message is not about, hey, Jesus saved you at one point, and now you need to be good. No, the gospel message is that there is never a point in time where we're ever on our own good enough in order to be able to be acceptable to God. And so because of that, God sent His Son to die for us so that for all time, His blood covers everything. It's not about works. It's not about chasing after God's favor or His merit or His approval because we have it. When the person accepts Jesus, your new starting place is in the positive, not the negative. You start in the space where God looks at you with delight. That's critical to understanding the Christian faith. And so as we consider this metaphor, this idea of the, um, the shoes of peace, this, the shoes of the gospel of peace, we run into a couple of challenges. And, and one of the significant challenges we face is understanding what Paul means by readiness. You see, the, the, in this whole time frame, in the, in the whole New Testament, we see this Greek word used in this way, like only this time. This is the only time you see this Greek word used like this. And so it brings into question, what is he talking about? Like, What does he mean when he says readiness? Is readiness, uh, is the readiness that comes from the gospel piece something that's intended to help us to stand still? Or is it intended to help us to move forward? Like, this is what we need to figure out. This is what we need to discuss because it becomes critically important in terms of how this plays out into our everyday lives. Is it, is this, a defensive posture solely? Is it an offensive posture solely? Or is it possible that it's both? I want to suggest to you two things about this right now. Uh, one is that the gospel provides us a defensive readiness. The gospel provides us a defensive readiness. 
I think so much what we see in the armor of God is this admonition from Paul to stand firm, right? Like there is this call on us to stand and after doing all that you could do to stand, right? And so there's this responsibility that we have within it. There's this idea that we don't buckle under attack. Oh, I wish that were so true in my own life, that I wouldn't buckle under attack. The breastplate of righteousness, as we talked about, uh, is this idea of living rightly. It protects us from the dangers that look around every part of life. The belt of truth causes us to lean in, to be able to discern truth from fiction by understanding the truth of God's Word. It reminds us of what we have in Christ, and from a defensive standpoint, the readiness or preparedness that comes from the gospel of peace helps us to avoid what I would call performance-driven or a performance-based standard of Christian life. Uh, it helps us to avoid any form of legalism within our lives, even though all of us seem to appreciate a certain level of systems that we try to apply to our Christian walk. And then, of course, we try to apply that to other people's Christian walks unfairly. But it helps us to avoid this performance-driven Christian walk. There's a couple of things I think that are important when we talk about the gospel. You know, like being the readiness of the gospel of peace in terms of defensive posture. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 say this. And you were also inclined in Christ when you heard the message, sorry, included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to his praise or to the praise of his glory. And so the idea here is that when we receive this gospel message, what we have happen in our lives is that we have the Holy Spirit enter into our lives, and the Holy Spirit serves as a seal. You can think of this as uh, sealing, um, sealing a letter, right? Like there's that wax stamp that takes place, and the only person who's able to open that, who has authority to open that, is whom it's intended for, or the person of whom... Uh, has that seal moniker as their own, right? And so in this case, Jesus is the one who opens it, and Jesus is the one who stamps it. All right, so this is the Holy Spirit in terms of serving within our life. And we could think of this seal as securing us until we finish this journey that God has intended for us. And God's stamp, His seal of the Holy Spirit in our lives guarantees that, that eternal inheritance. And so there's the beauty of it. We do not earn our salvation. We do not earn eternity. We receive it. It is a gift. And, and so when you accept it, you have it. And that's the way forward in this thing. But what often happens for us in terms of, like, let's talk about this defensive posture of the readiness of the gospel of peace, is that there's these attacks that are going to come our way that try and cause us to doubt our salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 say it this way, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And so we are saved by faith, not by works. 
Our salvation comes from God. It is His doing, which means it's not based on us. Guys, think about the freedom that comes with that. Your salvation is not based on your ability to be good. It is 100% based on the fact that Jesus Christ is good. And so there's a freedom that comes with that because we're not, we are then freed up to enjoy the relationship we have with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives, rather than trying to pursue what we think is just some kind of earned love that we need to gain from Him, which is completely backwards and it's a lie. We are created also then on top of that to do good works, but our salvation is not secured by those good works. The good works are just evidence of the fact that we're saved. Look, I am saved, and so because I love Jesus and I'm pursuing that relationship with Jesus, I do things that would please Him. I do the things that He was doing. If I want to be like Him, I need to do the things that He was doing. And so then there is this posture of being able to just exhale in peace, right? Like it's the gospel of peace. And it's beautiful. And so sometimes we think that, that the gospel is only good news for some kind of transactional event, right? Like, so Jesus dies uh, for us, right? So it's his life for our life. It's, it's his righteousness for our righteousness, right? It, it is something, though, that we need to understand that the gospel is something that we get to live in for eternity. Like, it is so difficult, I think, to live life where you've accepted Jesus. So the, the technical term there is that you have been justified. But then from that point forward, it's like you're trying, we're trying to redo this work that's already been done. Like we're trying to earn this favor, this merit, this positioning with God that Jesus has already given us when we've accepted him. And so we treat it kind of like a transaction, right? Well, that happened over there, but the reality is, and please hear this, we consistently live in the gospel of peace. Like it doesn't go away. It's here. This is what it is. And so because it is this gospel of peace, like I actually have peace with God. Guys, that's amazing. It's not about chasing after it him from the perspective of trying to gain some kind of acceptance we already have it and now we get to live in it man that just like think about the weight that just comes off your shoulders and and, and i think this is a big part of what jesus means when he says that that my my yoke is easy right like this this whole idea of of what it means to follow after him and to have this old way of doing things off and this new way of being on and the old way is trying to attain to living up to all the 613 laws in the Old Testament that nobody was ever able to do. And he says, my yoke is easy. Here you go. It's this idea that it's been paid for and now I get to enjoy that relationship and I pursue that relationship and I do the things that please him, but I don't do the things to please him because he's already like accepted me, right? Like I'm already in the family. And Satan, man, that accuser, 
He's just going to want to come at us and undermine that thinking, that truth that we're accepted by God already once you receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior. And he wants to undermine that teaching, that understanding, that truth, and create doubt. And he did that in the garden with Adam and Eve. And he, he wants us to question what we've heard and learned in the scriptures about our relationship with God. That's the attack. So stand firm and confident in the eternal and saving work of the gospel. You have peace with God. You are made righteous because of Jesus, not because of you. And we can expect the attack of the enemy. And we know, for example, that, that, that like we can expect that the enemy will attack in unexpected ways at unexpected times. And so we got to be ready, secure in that truth, right? With that belt of truth on, but we got to be ready in that gospel of peace, that peace that we know, that the truth about Jesus' work on the cross, and that's who we are positionally with the Father now. And so when he attacks that, we're able to say, no, we're good. Like, that's Abba Father. He's my dad. He's my Lord. He's my King. And He took care of this already. I don't need to be worried anymore. I don't need to strive for it in terms of trying to earn it because it's a free gift that I can't earn anyway. And so the gospel of peace prepares us to, to defend ourselves against those attacks from the evil one. But not only does it do this. So you've got this, this defensive preparedness that happens, but you also have an offensive preparedness that happens. The gospel of peace recognizes that we need to be ready to share the gospel. And this is one of the scariest things for most people. Oh, I don't know if I can share the gospel. Sure you can. You know who Jesus is. You know what he's done in your life, and you know the truth. You can share this. There's a fear that we have with it, right? But the gospel of peace recognizes that we can be ready to share the gospel, to go into places of darkness, to speak into the fallenness of the world around us, and bring hope. Hope, not condemnation. That's what we do. We, it's the gospel of peace, not the gospel of condemnation. It's, it's hope. The Great Commission of Matthew 28 reminds us of our mandate to go. Like, it's not optional. Like, we're going. The moment you accept Jesus, you need to understand that you're in the family. And while in the family, you're an ambassador to Him. So like it or not, when people look at you and they see me and you and the way we are in the world around us, like, they're defining Jesus and His followers based on our actions. And so we need to have in our mindset that we are on the move. We are going, and as going people, we need to be going with the gospel message and nothing else that takes away from that. And so we're called to go, to be on the offensive, but not to be offensive in that sense. And this initiative makes disciples the initiative to make disciples carries with it the assumption that we're going to be on the move, like as you are going, right? Matthew 28, 19 and 20, here's what it says. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And, I, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I need you to understand, or need me to understand as well, that this isn't the only time this is said. It's said in another way in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
It says, but you will receive power. This is Jesus talking again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, some people would say that this actually provides an outline for the book of Acts. And I agree with that. Uh, I would believe in many ways it absolutely does provide an outline for the book of Acts. But it also assumes that we're going. Like we're moving. We can't be witnesses. Like we can't be witnesses in our communities if we're always in our house. We can't call ourselves witnesses in our region if all we do is attend church and not live Christianity and live the commandments of Jesus. We gotta be on the move and we gotta be willing to share the gospel. And I think this is where a bit of the preparedness comes into play. So we have this defensive side of it, right? Where it defends us against the attacks of the evil one, just saying things like, you're not good enough, you can't be forgiven, you've gone too far, and, and, and you just can't turn back from this, and, and that you need to earn God's love. And so because you need to earn God's love, if you do something bad, you have to counteract that with something good, even though the truth is that Jesus covers all of it. And every single time we talk in a language or think in a language, like we need to make up for something as if we can, takes away from the fact that Jesus already did. And so we repent and we confess and we move away from the sin. We can't make up for it. Like we can't make it right. But the good news is that he did. That's the defensive posture. Now the offensive posture is this idea that that good news that we've experienced, that we've received, that we get to live in, we don't want to pass that on to others. We want to offer that to other people. That's the offensive side of it. And it's amazing living that way. So I believe we need to share the gospel intentionally, especially we need to work to be prepared to share the gospel and be intentional in doing so. Pray for those opportunities and have the courage to go into them. Like the reality is, is that I know a lot of people think that they don't have the opportunity or the knowledge on how to share the gospel. But if you would like to know how to share, the, share your faith and share the gospel, I want to invite you to join one of our Equipped to Serve classes because in there you get to learn how to share your faith, your personal testimony, the value of Scripture in your life. But the whole point is that we need to expect to share the gospel intentionally. And we have nothing to be ashamed of. Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And not only should we expect to share the gospel intentionally, we should intentionally share the gospel even when it's unexpected. Like even when it isn't planned for. So there's this intentional sharing of the gospel where we prepare for weeks or months in advance to be able to go on a missions trip. And these are fantastic things. Or maybe we plan weeks in advance to go on, uh, maybe we're serving in a soup kitchen and we're prepared for that opportunity to share the gospel. But there are these unexpected moments that come along that I believe are just so incredibly authentic that we need to be ready with the gospel, ready to be able to share our faith in. 
There are those times when we will have the opportunity to share the gospel at just a moment's notice. The Apostle Paul, sorry, the Apostle Peter, uh, was writing to some Jewish believers who were being persecuted for their faith. And, and here's what he says to them in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. And then he goes about this. And I mean, I just love this. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. Man, I, I, I think we could do a lot better in our witness with that, right? For the people that Peter was writing, they were experiencing persecution. They were dispersed, you know, um, beyond their homes. They weren't together with each other anymore because the persecution was at home. And so now in these foreign lands that they were in, in this persecution that they were under, as Jews and as followers of this forbidden religion called Christianity, he was telling them always be ready to give reason for the hope that they have, but in doing so, to do so with respect and humility. It's safe to say with a level of compassion that comes along with that, that isn't judgmental or condemning, but here's just the truth. And I want to offer this to you in genuineness. We don't experience that same sort of persecution here. I mean, we are made to be exceedingly uncomfortable right now. But it's safe to say that in our context, nobody's losing their life. Nobody is losing their livelihood because of their faith. Our, our faith is not outlawed where we are. It is not an illegal practice in terms of our belief system. And so there might be some risk of shaming us, some cancel culture kind of stuff that comes along, right? Because there will be people who don't like that there's an absolute truth, especially the one that we're offering. So there could be some risk that way. But I don't think that should change how we share the gospel or that we share the gospel. And so there's opportunities that God will place before us in these unexpected times, uh, Unexpected times would be something like maybe you're standing in line to get your kids signed up for swim lessons. I can tell you the truth that now this wasn't necessarily me sharing the gospel, but I had the opportunity to express my faith with people that I was standing in line with for swim lessons and, and have a great relationship with them now. How about in that line at the grocery store while you're waiting and you're silent and uncomfortable and wondering what to do with yourself. Maybe, maybe there's an opportunity there to, to reach out to somebody. Maybe there's, you know, in the bleachers at your kid's sporting event, once those sporting events are back in action, uh, maybe those times at the restaurant and there's an extra measure of kindness and, and, and maybe a note you can write to the, uh, the person serving you. Maybe it's a, a workplace conversation about your weekend plans or about what you value about your weekends and you value your faith as part of your weekend expressions or even when your neighbor swings by just to say hello. You see, there's these unexpected moments that we have and we could say that there are these divine appointments that God places and says, now. I've had unintended 
conversations with people on an airplane. I, I've told you about this before where I get on an airplane, I'm, I'm exhausted. I, I, I wasn't interested in any kind of conversations. And so I have my earbuds in and still have this person kind of shaking at me to try and start a conversation with me. And, and I'll confess to you that what I do for a living as a pastor often shuts down conversations. But and so I often lead with that when they say, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. And I'm thinking that's going to shut down the conversation. But what I find is that it doesn't. In most cases, it doesn't. And that's a divine appointment. When you talk about what you value, what gets you excited, I mean, is one of the things that gets you excited the gospel, and not just for what you benefit from it, but what you get to offer others in it. We have this defensive posture with the gospel of readiness, and it's great. I think we need to be a little more offensive than we have been in our personal lives. I know I need to be. I get to share the gospel. I want to do it more. And I promise you, you get to as well. I just want to encourage you, share it. Take the risk. Take the risk. The readiness that comes from the gospel of peace is a readiness to stand firm and to be ready to both defend ourselves against the lies from the devil that causes us to try and think that we need to earn our salvation in some way. When the gospel has already covered that, but then also that we need to be ready to be able to share the gospel. And by the way, he's got lies there too. And the lies are going to be, oh, they're going to reject you, or they don't want to hear it, or they don't want to know. Really? How about start the conversation and let them be the ones to shut it down instead of we starting with it being shut down already? Don't buy into the devil's lie that people don't want to hear about Jesus. They do. They really, really do. But they want to know the authentic Jesus. The one who came to seek and save the lost. And like a good soldier who's ready for anything, we need to be preparing ourselves. We need to be preparing ourselves. Prepare to be attacked and respond with, with grace. Prepare to become under attack from the evil one and live in the grace that you receive from Jesus. So we respond with grace to people who might attack us for our faith. And we live in the grace, secure in knowing that we're good with Jesus because He paid for it all already. And as we pursue Him, I mean, life is just amazing. Not to buy the lies of the devil on that one. But we are to stand firm, prepared to expect to share the gospel at any time. Like, prepare to, to, with the expectation that at any given time, you're going to be called on. There's going to be this divine appointment that's going to show up that you need to answer. And share that gospel. Share the good news of Jesus. Because that is part of what it means to be an ambassador of Jesus. And like it or not, you are an ambassador of Jesus. So here's the thing. Time to put your big boy pants on. Time to put the big girl pants on. And we're ambassadors. We need to live it and we need to know it so that we can share it. 
That should get us excited. That's what we need to be about. It's not the evangelism of our favorite coffee or our breakfast images that we post on Instagram. We are an army of God for the advancement of the gospel message to be part, inviting people to be part of the kingdom of God. That's what we get to be a part of. And keep in mind that Paul, Paul calls this the gospel of peace. And so we get to invite people into peace with God. Man, I wish we would proclaim that part of it more. Peace with God. That's what we get to do. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some self-evaluation. I want you to look at yourself and ask yourself very simply, do you know, A, what the gospel is, B, how to share it? That's it. You know what the gospel is and B, how to share it. And if it's a, a maybe or a, I'm not sure to any of those things, get involved in our Equip to Serve class. Because in that class, you get exposed to what the gospel is, how to share it, and not only that, how to allow it to live in you. Because it is the power to save. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Jesus, that, that as we look at what it means to have these shoes, uh, the, the readiness, our feet re fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, Jesus, that we would be a people who are ready to stand firm and to ward off that attack that comes from the evil one that says we need to earn your love when you've already given it. That we need to earn your salvation when you've already given it. Lord, that we would be secure in the knowledge that comes from the truth in your word and the testimony of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are saved. And Lord, that we would be prepared to be able to take that gospel message, get out of our comfort zones and share it with people who need to be in a place of peace with you. And the only way to have peace, peace with you is to have life in your son. And so, Lord God, would we be a people who help those far from God come to know life in Christ. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.